In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who will roll that stone away? These anxious women set out at sunrise to properly finish what was a hasty burial of Jesus the evening before. But even as they continued their walk toward the tomb, they probably were thinking, what are we doing? What a foolish thing to do. Who is going to roll away that stone? Jesus had been buried. They saw it happen, and they knew he was put in this tomb. They saw the stone being rolled over the entrance to the tomb. They had no hope of moving it back themselves. But with the best intentions in the world, even though it was a poorly thought-out mission, perhaps, they set on their way. The stone wasn't the only problem. They would also face guards put there by the people who crucified Jesus, guards to prevent the disciples from stealing his body. These guards would be noticing everyone coming and going so they can be identified later and maybe even arrested. The guards were there to help the church and the government officials root out all of Jesus' followers and just be done with that whole nonsense. So these women were putting themselves and even all of the other disciples in great danger. That's probably why they came on their own. Peter, James, John, and the others were hiding probably somewhere in the back streets of Jerusalem They were hoping to lie low until the focus of Jesus' death and all the fuss around it would die down, and then maybe they thought they could quietly go back to Galilee. But now, these ridiculous women and their trip to the tomb are risking everybody's safety. They're going to lead the authorities straight back to the disciples. And what for? So they can anoint Jesus' body He's already dead. The other disciples maybe had gotten wind of what the women were doing. And if they had, maybe they tried to stop them. But it was of no use. They go off on their journey thinking, who's going to roll away that stone? I would like to think, though, that these women somehow knew that they weren't finished with the whole Jesus story yet, that this was not the end of his life and the end of all of the time and energy and emotion that they had invested in this Jesus, who was a teacher and a healer, who taught them and loved them and inspired them and showed them a new way of living and a new world. They can't just walk away from him, especially now when things seem to have changed so drastically. And what they discover, of course, is that just as they were not finished with the story of Jesus, 
the story of Jesus was not finished with them either. In fact, God is not finished with them. This is not a sad ending. It's a joyful new beginning for them. So when they arrive at the tomb, there are no guards there. The stone has already been pushed back and the body of Jesus is gone. And two men in dazzling white clothes appear to tell them that Jesus has risen from the dead. No wonder they were terrified. They didn't know what to expect when they started out, but oh my gosh, how amazing this story is becoming. So how do you feel about the empty tomb? How do you feel about resurrection in general? Some people over the centuries have suggested that Jesus perhaps wasn't really dead when they put him in the tomb, that somehow he was revived or he escaped or he was rescued, even as battered and bruised as he was. Others propose that the body of Jesus was stolen, either by the authorities or by the disciples themselves. But with the talk of the resurrection of Jesus starting up immediately after his death, and remember, he had talked about this before he died, so they were expecting it, and they were kind of expecting that he might come back to life. If the authorities had their body, they could have presented the body, and the whole Jesus thing would have been squelched right from the beginning. And why would the disciples steal the body of Jesus and then make up stories about a resurrection? What could have been their motive? Indeed, those followers knew the truth. They had nothing to gain by lying. There was no glory, no wealth, no power offered to them in exchange for Jesus' dead body. In fact, they had everything to lose. Most of them suffered persecution. Many of them were killed simply because they insisted that Jesus had risen from the dead. If they knew it wasn't true, why would they say it? It doesn't make their message any easier for people to accept. In fact, it was still and maybe still is decidedly awkward. So let me be clear. As open as free thinking as I think I am, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's partly the witness of these very disciples which, make be, which makes me believe that something beyond our normal understanding of life and death happened on that morning. And I think it's partly the Holy Spirit who gives me faith to not necessarily understand in every way this great mystery, but helps me believe that it is true. I believe that Jesus rose from death to life. But in a way, debating the ins and outs of the resurrection can be a little bit like a red herring. 
we can get so hung up on the questions of, well, if this or how that, that we miss maybe the deeper, more vital issues, like why did this resurrection happen in the first place? And what does it mean for me? Those who claimed to have met the risen Christ in those early days after the first Easter share one thing in common. Their lives were transformed, utterly changed by the experience. They discovered the indestructibility of God's love. Nothing could kill it, not even death on a cross. It wasn't just that Jesus had risen that mattered. It was that they too had risen. They had risen from their fears and hopelessness. Frightened, delusioned men and women became bold preachers. They formed new and revolutionary communities where all people were treated equally and all were respected. Those who had thought themselves of no account, the poor, the sick, women, outcasts, sinners, they found themselves in this new community of Christ as valued members and loved by all. Those who'd anxiously clung to the security of material wealth and social status, they found a far deeper security in knowing that they were children of God and part of God's eternal reign. People who longed for something in their life, change maybe, found that longing satisfied. The resurrection of Christ proclaimed that things don't have to be always the way they've always been. Even the dead can live. 2,000 years later, people are still longing for something, right? Longing for change. We want resurrection, not just life after death, although we want that too, but something more. We want life before death, true and meaningful life, lively and fulfilling life, life that matters for us and for our families and friends and for the world. Like the women who set out for the tomb that first Easter, we may not always know how our longings will be answered. We may not even be able to put them into words, but we know that they're powerful and compelling. Jesus was sent to die and rise again so that we might have life and have it abundantly. God raised Jesus from death so that we might truly know the lengths to which God would go to save us and make us whole again. God's love for us has no bounds and no one has ever been turned away. From God's grace. Listen to your longings. Remain faithful on your journey through life. 
Reach out to God when you need to for wisdom and guidance. Trust in God's all-encompassing forgiveness and love. Put your hopes in God and see what can happen, how the resurrection of Jesus can and will transform your lives and the world we live in. Amen.